0: Welcome to the Unscripted Podcast, where we chat with some of our pals, favorite guests, and industry friends, and it's our special 2016 blowout holiday extravaganza. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Winter Solstice, Happy Festivus for the rest of us, Happy New Year, and the best tidings for whatever holiday you may enjoy and celebrate. I'm your host, Kevin Tuganaga. This is our last podcast episode of 2016, and I'm happy to be chatting with Lit manager, producer, Bellevue Productions' honcho, poutine lover, actually I'm not <laughs> sure he likes poutine at all, uh, and all around good guy, Al pal John Zauzerny. Thanks for joining us today, John. Thank you. I feel honored to be here for the last podcast of the year. Yeah, this is our special holiday extravaganza, so it uh, should be a lot of fun. Um, I had a bunch of holiday-esque questions-y type stuff to go over, and yet you we, we were chatting before mm-hmm. because anyone who knows John knows John is all business. <laughs> he is uh, definitely um, all business. So th- that plan got thrown out the window. We are readjusting. We are switching plans and uh, maneuvering to uh, a new topic of conversation, which is... Screenwriting, which is what we normally talk about, mm-hmm. uh, not the holiday junk that well, I... You, was... you wanted to have some fun, and, and, I, and
1: I was like, well, I wrote all, all these notes, and I don't want to be, you know, not like our other podcasts where we just t- chat about the weather. I thought like, we could have a real professional right.
0: conversation <laughs> here, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, okay. So there's all kinds of good stuff that I want to talk about. First off, yeah. Congratulations. Um, two things. One, obviously, you're engaged, which Thank is you. awesome. Um, I'm engaged to a writer, so. Right. See, that's what I mean. All business. All business,
1: <laughs> right. I, exactly. And to a client, I should say. So that's, you know, that's, that's the fun of, uh, it, you know, business doesn't stop, you know. It's constantly, you, you bring know, it into your keep, family life. Keep it going. You know, I was like, why, why stop at, at 10%, you know, right. when you can get, you know, 50%. Because
0: you're all business. Exactly. got to exactly. keep it all business. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, oh, and the second thing I wanted to congratulate you on was the tracking board. Hit list just came out. And the top three agencies were, uh, in terms of their hit lists. You know the hot screen plays, quote unquote, were in order WME, CAA, and UTA, mm-hmm. and of management companies it was Circle of Confusion, um, and Madhouse, Madhouse, and of course Bellevue, a, a little company called
2: Bellevue. I know Production. it's pretty good for
1: pretty good for two guys who've only been doing this together for uh, for you know actually. I've been doing it for a couple of years and Jeff's been doing it for a couple of years, but we only joined forces last August. Mm-hmm. So it's been, we've, we've, uh, we've been very fortunate and uh, I think it really speaks to the clients that we've been fortunate enough to work with that we've found some, been you know fortunate to find some really talented people. Obviously, you know, I think we hustle to find them and we hustle once we've got them, but, you know, it was, it was great. I, you know, had two in there and then Jeff had five. He really yeah. killed it this year. So I feel, you know, those other companies... Um, You know, those are, you know, Circle has a lot of managers and Madhouse has a good number and, and, you know. And uh, they're both
0: long, you know, they're both. Yeah. And and, to to be honest with you,
1: when I was just a producer, I worked a lot with Madhouse and and to me, they've always been like the gold standard, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. Circle has as well. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I worked a lot more closely with Madhouse and their clients and I think they're a very development oriented place. Absolutely. Um, You know, uh, so that, you know, I sitting down with Cole Brenner and, and Kendrick and, and Ryan over there just. Really savvy, smart guys, mm-hmm. and uh, and so to be mentioned in the same breath of them is an honor, and, and Circle as well, and Circle yeah. is amazing in clients, and you know everybody on on you know there are a lot of, a lot of good companies, but yeah, it was cool to see like you know just a two man shop. Uh, I tell you, make the way it makes our lives easier is. Uh, is it? It shortens the required introduction to uh, right. to, to new writers and to uh, producers in town. You know, they tend to like, oh, I've heard of you, so mm-hmm. and hopefully good things.
0: So it was uh, it was cool. cool. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, that's awesome. <coughs> um, you guys have been busy. <clears throat> um, so, uh, moving on to business, since mm-hmm. John Johnny Z's all business all Jay-Z, the time. Z, man, all business. Um, some of the things we were talking about. Right. Um, we'll get to a little bit of the ho- holiday stuff mm-hmm. in a bit. Um, one of the questions that you brought up that I we'd never talked about before, which I think is super interesting, mm-hmm. is, do I want to be a writer? Right. I'm sure everyone right now is saying, well, yeah, mm-hmm. I absolutely do. Right. I have an idea. I have. Of I, I want. i to write a script. Of course, I want to be a writer.
1: When I went to so funny, I went to film school at <clears throat> NYU, and literally the first day of class, where it's like, I wanna say like hundreds of people sitting in the, kind of a large conference room. We're all, um, <clears throat> I think the film program there starts in junior year, like it really starts in earnest in junior year, and that's when I transferred in. And so we're all sitting there, and the transfers and, and the people who had been there for a couple of years, and the dean of the school gets up and says, you really need to ask yourself, do I want to be in the film industry? Is there anything else I can do? And we all kind of like, I think maybe laughed or like, ha you know, like, of course I do. You know, like, right. come on. And they're, they're, the guy, you know, he said, if there's anything else you can do, you should do it because it'll be a lot easier to make money. It'd be a lot easier. I mean, mm-hmm. ah, it's not for me. I'm genius, right. you know. But everyone, all these other guys, who knows? But you know, um, all these other people. Um, but you know, you know. Now I'm, you know, I won't say how many, but a number of years out of film school, and I would guess like less than ten percent of the people I went to film school, and I went to, uh, you know, I, I think one of the better known film schools. Um, are not are probably using their degrees. You know what I'm saying? Right. I would say I would guesstimate that like not a lot of people are using still using those degrees. Because it's a really, really tough business. Right. It's a really tough business. And I honestly, there's a lot easier ways to make money. Mm-hmm. And um and you know I don't I don't say that to intimidate people or or, or to say, oh you know, only the strong well, only strong survival and the strong survive, only the the cream comes to the top or whatever. What I would say is um, those who work hard, I think, go to the top. Also, you know, not just working hard isn't enough. You need luck. You know, I mm-hmm. need to be in the right place at the right time, and you need to find the right people. And you know, you can be a really talented person, maybe never find that great script. You know, or you can be someone who maybe works less hard, but hey, you're at a party and meet this person. They happen to turn into the next Max Landis or the next you know um, David Guggenheim or, or whatever. You right. know, um, which is by no means to diminish uh, the people who work with them, because I think. You know, it's it can't I mean, it can't just hit the lottery. You know, I, I maybe I've been thinking, maybe maybe it isn't there is no way to, easy way. But what I would say is I do think there's an element of luck to it. Um, but you know, there's like that saying, the harder I work, the luckier I get. I think you right. have to put yourself in a position to be lucky, and the better best way to be lucky is to do it as much as possible. But anyways, my point in kind of returning to your question was I think. A lot of people are like, well, I have an idea for, and I meet these people occasionally I'll go to, to Pitch fest. I don't really go to them that much anymore, because to be honest with you, they're for me, they're not really worth the time. You know? Um, it's just you know within, you know, a few a minute or less whether or not this is even potentially a, a movie idea, you know, because you just know from the log line. Um, and people and then people continue talking to you for another five minutes and you find <laughs> they paid hundreds of dollars to be there and you're just like, right. oh that money is better spent on other things. Right. Um, and but you'll meet these people sometimes and i'll be like oh okay you know that, that idea is not for me what else do you have and they go well no that's what i got you know mm-hmm. and i think sometimes there's a view out there that this is this almost is like a bit of a lottery i think there are some sites and some people who are like oh there's millions to be made up here and like, it's like that that um I, I forget who it was i want to think say it was mankowitz this line to ben Hecht, uh the writer of Scarface, and he, he telegrammed him and said there's millions to be made out here and you're only competition is fools, don't let this get around, it was like in the 20s, and I think people still kind of think that a little bit, but it's, it's really not that way, this is not. there's not a lottery ticket mentality, what there is a mentality of is a mentality of craft, and so the thing I would say to people is, if there's anything else you can do, you should do it, Right. Um, and be prepared to struggle, I mean, for a long time. Deeper. And by the way, even if you have success, even if you sell a movie and even if that movie gets made, that's no guarantee of anything. Uh-huh. The, you know, it's like, think about it like baseball. Every time you come up to the bat, no one's like, well, you struck a home run last time, so we'll just give this one to you. Wow. you know? it does, it just, it gets, it's just as hard every single time. And I think that is something to be really aware of. And I don't say this to freak anybody out. What I do, maybe the reason I think I would say it is when you don't have success, and maybe don't have success for a long time. Just know that's that's the norm. Uh-huh. You know, and I think sometimes people look at websites that are like million dollar spec sales all the time, which by the way, to my knowledge, there hasn't been a million dollar spec sale in a couple of years. Right. Which is you know, by the way, when I was coming up in the industry, that happened every couple of weeks, it seemed like, you know? Um, <coughs> so that gives you I mean, and here's you know, there's a couple of stats to bring up. A, this year will be the uh, worst year for the selling of feature film screenplays since 2008, which by the way was the year the writers strike. Right. So that was a year where a good chunk of the year could not even be, no one could even sell a script. So that gives you an idea of how bad things are currently in the marketplace. And a stat that I read from last year, which might be even more true now, is it's easier to get into the NFL than it is to be a feature screenwriter. There are more working players in the NFL than there are in the WGA um, uh, kind of feature screenwriting who are feature screenwriters. I didn't so, know that. Yeah. That's a scary stat. Same amount of head
0: injuries probably. Uh,
1: <laughs> um, you know, so I don't say any of this stuff to, to freak people. I mean, maybe I do. Maybe I, maybe you need to like hear this and be like, oh my God, this is this is the real deal. So the question really nasty is like, am I doing this because I have won a good idea or am I doing this because I... Because you sit down, even if I let's say I read a great screenplay, I'm like, what else you got? And they're like, eh, not much, you know? Um, <laughs> do they say it just like that? Yeah, not much. Eh, not no, much. When, you know, people are always like, well, I got this thing I'm working on, but it's right. not done yet. And like which right. by which means like they're like scrambling, you know, to do it. Um, but you know, you're looking for people who want to do this as a career. And by the way, are you gonna take time out of your sometimes you 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 deal with people and they write one screenplay a year or one screenplay every year and a half and like you know, if I was like, hey, what's up? I'm a, I am make chairs. Like, how many chairs to make? Eh, one every year and a half. Right. Oh, how's that working out for you? I'm not great. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. Um, You know, you have to commit to it. And whatever your day job is, that is your day job. Your real job is when you come home and write. Right. And be prepared to do that for a couple of years at least, you know. So that, you know, it's all a matter of really taking a really hard look and being like, and it's it's okay. I mean, I came into this wanting to be a screenwriter, and eventually, I was like, oh no, you know, uh, it's not where my skill set lies. My skill set lies in being a producer, and and eventually, in being a manager. You know, um, I didn't have the discipline to be uh, a writer. I just didn't. You know, I have the discipline to work with writers and try to make sure that they have discipline. <laughs> but uh, you know, and I, I think that's fine. Maybe your skill set isn't in being a writer. Maybe it's in being a producer or an agent or executive or, or whatever that, that aspect might be, that's fine, you know, um, but I think you want to be, you want to take a really hard look at it. So anyways, that's that's kind of, I think, why we wanted to address that question, because usually people are like, so you want to be a writer, so here's, how, here's the tools, but... You know, if you want to be a mechanic, you have to be like, okay, I'm going to be fixing cars right. uh, for 20 years of my life. Is that what I want to do? And it may take me a while to build up a business, you know, and, and you know, and that's at least something where there's a, a constant flow of people's cars are always going to break down, you right.
0: know? And I mean, how much, you know, using the cars as an example, mm. how much do you love cars? Do you love yes. working on cars? Because then maybe, you, you know, equivalent of being a writer, do you love writing? Do you love working on scripts? Or do you love watching the Fast and the Furious movies? Yes. that's There's a difference in the other, the like other how thing, much you love cars. The other thing we should say, is it's writing. good
1: that you kind of brought that up in a way because yeah. it kind of sparked something for me, is let me let me tell you something, okay? If you want to be in control of your writing, go write a play. Go write a sure. novel. Movies yeah. are collaborations. I can't tell you how many writers I've met where I'm like, okay, here's a message. So like, no, that's not how I see it. Okay, but like... Guess what? Like, you're running for the marketplace. You're not running for yourself. You're asking people to give you hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars to eventually make this into a movie. Um, it's a collaboration. Right. And so if you are an auteur, if you yourself is like this, this perfect thing, go become a director or go become a novelist or whatever. Or even if you're a director, you've got to work with the producer. you've got to work with the budget, you've got to work with the actors. Okay, it's a collaboration. Or and raise your own money. But yeah. that's
0: not necessarily what animating able to do. But, but even
1: even then, mm. you're gonna have to work with the actors, and like they're not that's automatons, you know. True. You're not. This isn't <laughs> CG, you know. I mean, it's an animated movie where you can make make their eyebrows work. With, you have to work <laughs> with an editor with a with a composer, that's you know. True. And so right. really understand. And by the way, like, look, go read William Goldman's Adventures in the Screen Trade. Go read. Um, you know, go read um, Writing for Fun and Profit by Grant and Lennon, you know, go read books, go read Ben Heck's Child of the Century and learn about what it is to be a screenwriter because I got news for you, it ain't great, you know, you are, you know, even if you're Chris McQuarrie or whatever, you are working for someone above you, whether it's the studio, the director or the actor, you are in the service of their vision. You know, And maybe eventually you, you move to being in service of your vision, your Paul Thomas Anderson or whatever, but those are few and far between. If you want to be a writer, you're going to be in service of someone else's vision. There's a great Chris McQuarrie interview that unfortunately got taken down by Empire, I'm not sure why, but he talks about how his career, because after The Usual Suspects it was really you know barren for a while, <coughs> weirdly, because if he's be so amazingly talented, yeah. but eventually... Did he, try- he
0: win the Oscar for that?
1: Yeah. yeah, and he was trying to write for himself. And he's like realizing, he's like, I have a specific set of skills and I can help the other people do their job. They need me and I have to use those skills in service of their vision, of the executives and the directors and the, and the stars, you know? And he's like, does it make me more fulfilled? No. Does it make me wealthier? Yes, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm moving towards trying to be more fulfilled, you know, becoming my, a director, but all that kind of stuff, you know? And he was very, very, and that's Chris McCoy, one of the great living screenwriters and I think. You have to prepare yourself for the fact that this is the screenwriting business does not exist to further your personal dreams. You are a craftsman. You are someone work. You are a person who works on the part. And by the way, you're at the bottom of the food chain. Right. You know, and and you know, like you know, I've had clients go on set and the director's changing their words, and that's really frustrating. But welcome to being a sc- welcome to Barton Fink. Welcome to being a screenwriter. That's how it is. And I wish it was different. I wish, you know, TV is different. A t- TV is, I think, where the writers have a lot more control, so that's great. Right. You know? But it's
0: also much more collaborative, writing wise. Yes, much more collaborative. You are
1: in service of the showrunner's vision. <laughs> Absolutely. You are in right. service of the studio's <laughs> vision, the network's vision. If Les Moonvans, for whatever reason, reads the script and says no, then it's no. You know? Right. Or maybe the actor reads and says, I don't want to do this, you know? Yep. So it's still a collaboration, um, but, you know, at least in that case, you know, the directors are not the most powerful people, sure. you know? Right. But. It's you. That's another thing to prepare yourself. If you view yourself as an auteur, if you view yourself as David Mamet or Aaron Sorkin or whatever, you know, A, they had to rise to that level. You know, even Aaron Sorkin got rewritten. You know, Um, at first. You know, but like, B, understand that for the majority of people, if you want to make a living, you were making a living as a craftsman. You were making a living as someone who got paid money to to write something, and you were the people paying you the money have the ownership of it and they also be the able to say, No, I don't like the character does this, make them do that. If you say no, I'm not gonna do that, to my screenplay, A it's not your screenplay, you got paid for it. Right. B, um <clears throat> You know, B, they're just
0: going to fire you and hire someone who does do that thing. And let's say... And C, they're not going to hire you again and it'll spread around town and you're yes, going to have a hard time getting a job and you're going to you piss off in, your agent and your manager. You are in service of someone else's
1: vision. Sure. That's what the money is for. There's a great part in um, Art Linson's book where he's talking about the making of the Untouchables. Mm-hmm. It's David Mamet. Yeah. And there's a scene in the, in the Untouchables where um, Robert De Niro here as, as Capone, hears that uh, Sean Connery was killed and smiles. It's a wordless scene at the opera, if I recall correctly. And Mamet hated the scene... But you know, Linson leans over to the premiere and said, "Don't just remember you were bought and paid for." You mm-hmm. know, so they got like. Hopefully, you'll get well paid. Yeah. But like, it's it's rough for people. The idea that you are being rewritten and that you are essentially a moving part. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that is just a reality of the business, and it's been a reality of the business since conception. It's not going to change anytime soon. Um, and so that's another thing just to think about and be like, okay, do you want to have complete control over your words? Because if you do, you've got to be a writer-director, and even then, maybe not, <coughs> go write novels. Honestly, right. like, that's what William Goldman said kept him saying was, you know, when he's dealing with his scripts being rewritten on all the President's Men or, like, the right stuff or whatever, he's like, he went and, you know, I was still writing novels. And in the novel, I was the king. Um, but, you know, in the screen editing, I'm not the king. Right. That's one Goldman probably the best, most successful screen editor of all time. Sure. You know?
0: Yeah, I mean, once you get that check, it ceases to be yours.
1: Yeah, and by the way, let's yeah. say that someone wants to buy your spec your, and they come and say, okay, well, what we want to do is blank, 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 blank. And you say, well, I don't want to do that. No, that's not my vision for the script. Well, then they're not going to give you the money. Right. By taking the money, you've entered into a contract that you no longer legally own the screenplay. Sure.
0: Absolutely. Um, you mentioned a bunch of great books. I've read Adventures in the Screen Trade mm-hmm. and Lenson's book. What was that? A Pound of Flash? I that? think so. The first one. Yeah. yeah. He's written a couple. That's great. Um, we'll have links <coughs> for listeners. Um, giveaway for Christmas. Yeah. Um, or Hanukkah. Or I don't know if they give away gifts for Kwanzaa or anything like that. I just
1: started reading this Ben Hecht book, by the way, Child of the Century, which I can't recommend more highly. It's You can only buy it used. Ben wrote... Um, ben won the first Academy Award for screenwriting, actually. Oh. Um, he also wrote Scarface, worked on Gone with the Wind. Um, he wrote The Front Page, which became the model for His Girl Friday. I think may have worked on His Girl Friday. But he was, this, and he was that, not, that book, if you have a chance to read it, it doesn't have as much Hollywood gossip as I, was, as I was kind of hoping for. It's only a small section because clearly Ben Heck doesn't really rate Hollywood that highly. Right. He was a journalist and a playwright. Um, but if you have a chance to read that book, it's a phenomenal book because he talks about being a, being a journalist in like 1910 and like <laughs> all these crazy, crazy, it's where, they, it's where His Girl Friday in the front page came from where these crazy, crazy stories of these journalists who just had no ethics. If you think journalists nowadays have no ethics and that fake news, let me tell you, fake news back in the day, they were, you know, organizing jailbreaks so they could report on it, you right. know. There was some crazy stuff going on. So anyways, just that's a little tip for your listeners. That's not as well-known a book as Adventures in the Screen Trader, Art Linsen's book, or the Grant and Lennon book. Right. But it's a, it's a book from like 1956. But I think it's a well-worth, it's a fun
0: read if you like Hollywood history. Okay. Um, we'll have to dig it up. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay. Next, I wanted to uh, jump into the next topic that we were kind of right. talking about. Um, what kind of writer do I want to be? Right. Which I think is valid and important. Um, I did talk to uh, Adam Perry, an agent at APA, which I think that... One one of good people. um, Yeah. One of my my favorites in the business. Um, And that interview is coming up, I think it should be before this one actually. So, um, Where I know he is an advocate for writers doing both. Yes. But still there has to be that focus on, you know, Where your driving motivation comes from. Yes. And then obviously having the ability to sort of jump the rails and and move. But anyway, um, I wanted to ask you what, when you you ask the question, what kind of writer do I want to be to a writer? Right. Their response should be either film or TV.
1: You know, um, one that's the thing that I have come around on to some degree is. As a general rule, there are specific instances where this is not true. It's it's easier to break into features than it is to break into TV. There's no such thing as a blacklist for TV. Right. Um, so one of the things to consider is that if you have success in features, it generally leads to success in TV. Whereas. Um, If you write a TV pilot, it generally doesn't necessarily mean anything in the feature world. Um, If you wrote one and it somehow sold, then absolutely, but the chances of that happening are minute. Whereas let's say you write a script, it gets you on the blacklist, even if it doesn't sell, it's not entirely commercial, that'll likely, get, I mean, if you're in the blacklist, you'll definitely get an agent. If you already have one, you probably, you definitely had a manager to get in the blacklist because you had to get someone to pass it around. You probably had an agent as well. Um, and then and, that, and
0: again, just for clarification, we're talking about the actual blacklist,
1: not the paid. Yeah,
0: blacklist. sorry, people get kind of
1: confused about right. that. Whenever we talk about the blacklist, well, sorry, no, whenever, but like. In the case of like get on the blacklist, right. that means the blacklist, the annual list of the best screenplays of the year.
0: Right. Um, in, in its the executives and producers that and, vote on, and it. That yeah. vote on it. Yeah. Not the website that you pay to have your For script. me when I talk with the blacklist.com, that's me talking gotcha. about the website. Right. Um, the
1: black when I talk with the blacklist, that means you're on the blacklist. That means the annual listing sure. of scripts every year. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so um, let's see you get on there, that then you can then transition the buzz and the, and the heat from that into getting you know, a conversation. You'll, if you're an agency, they'll likely have a, they'll have a TV department and, maybe, and then you can get hopefully get a TV agent from already having a feature agent and then you can transition into going around doing a bunch of TV meetings, maybe a conversation with staffing, maybe trying to sell a show, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, as a general rule, just an FYI, I think it's much easier to move a shift a feature writer into TV than vice versa. Right. Um, and it's just it's also just hard to break TV writers in general um, because there's so many people trying to get in TV. And you have to understand if you want to staff on a show, the writer assistant wants the staff as well, the showrunner assistant wants the staff as well, the script runner wants the staff as well. There's mm-hmm. a lot of competition
0: for those positions. Um, and they have the ear of those correct showrunner because they're in that office every right. single day. Absolutely, yeah. mm-hmm. absolutely.
1: Um, and so, you know, you've to ask yourself, do I want to write features or do I want to write TV? And you can say both down the road, but you better choose one to write to focus on. Eventually, focus on it first mm-hmm. and write that thing. And if I had to give you advice on one of the two, I would say. You know, unless you already have an in on a TV show, like you're already working on a show or whatever, it's better to write a feature and then write a TV later. Um, because people in feature, people in the, I'll put it like this, people in the feature film industry are more likely to look at a spec than people in the TV industry are to look at a spec pilot. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, because you can go and buy Juno. Because um, it's written by—it doesn't matter who it's written by—but it's you know if if, if um, Diablo Cody had written a TV pilot and she was a nobody, it'd be a lot harder for get people to get her to take her seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that doesn't happen because it does happen. There are exceptions. There was um, you know the Halle Berry show, uh, Extant, Extant mm-hmm. et etc. Et there are absolutely exceptions. But you'll hear a lot more often about a, a writer coming from nowhere and selling a feature spec than you'll hear about a writer coming from nowhere and selling a TV spec. That's just—I right. mean that's just a fact.
0: Um, well, and also like with all specs, TV specs just because it sells doesn't mean it's Yes. Yeah. Gonna- but the buzz of selling a feature spec can get you into the Absolutely. TV
1: conversation. Right, right. Um, so that's, that's the next thing, we're kind of proceeding in order of like the conversations you sure. should be having in your head. Um, and then you should ask yourself, what do I want to write? Uh-huh. That's the kind of the next thing to ask yourself. Um, I'm, you know, let, let's not address TV right now because it's kind of an unspecific beast. The only thing I'll say to TV is you should write something very, very memorable. Don't write something you think should get you on the air. Write the show that if you read about it and deadline or variety, you'd be like, oh my God, I have to see that show or I can't wait to read that show. Right. It's better to write something extraordinary and weird than to write something like, it's a cop show, but guess what, they're brothers or whatever. <laughs> like, trust me, we've, anyone in the TV industry has read Five million of those. Right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about features. You know, yeah. I had a meeting with an executive recently. He asked me a really smart question. Mm-hmm. He's like, what do you tell your clients to write? You know, or what do you advise them to write? I should say. <clears throat> so that's, a, you know, that's a really good question. I hadn't really I never thought about it in a specific thing, although it happens to me every day. And the reason he was saying that is because, you know, as we kind of mentioned before, this is the hardest year for selling specs of all time, right? Sure. Um, and so there's kind of three things you can write. The first thing you can write, the most obvious thing you could write or people kind of aim for is the um, the studio spec, right? The spec that you think could sell to Warner Brothers or Universal or Fox or Disney or whoever, right? Now that's actually the hardest spec to write because it's the narrowest bullseye. If you look at all the studio movies, well, first thing you need to do is go to the movie theater and be like, okay, what are they making? They're making conk movies. They're making video game movies. They're making adaptations of famous novels. You, know? you can't write any of those. right? Don't go and do like, I'm going to write Street Fighter. Like, You don't have the rights to Street Fighter. Nobody wants to read your Street Fighter right, script. Right. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> <clears throat> so if you want to write a movie for a studio, it's got to have a huge concept. By which I don't mean, don't just like go write your own version of Jupiter ascending. What I mean is it has to have a concept that we get immediately. A good example of this would be, you know, Snow White and the Huntsman. Mm-hmm. Okay? Right. So, like, that's a public domain thing, and there was a genius, genius idea of, like, okay, what if we did Snow White, but what if we focused on her relationship with the Huntsman? And what if Snow White was a badass and the Huntsman was a badass? Like, oh, well, that's a cool spin on something, right? But that's a like kind of big franchise starter. The only reason they're going to buy a spec for the most part is. A big studio is going to buy a spec. And there are exceptions to this. But more often, they're looking for a franchise starter. Okay. And those ideas are really, really narrow. And you have to look yourself in the mirror and be like, is this a studio idea? I'm developing probably over 30 projects. Of those, only three are what I would call real studio ideas. Mm-hmm. Real, by which I mean, I can pitch them in one sentence. Like Edge of Tomorrow. I mean, that was based on a manga. But like that's a Great example. It's Dog Day Afternoon meets a sci fi version of Saving Private Ryan. or actually, Dog Day Afternoon meets Starship Troopers, right? Mm -hmm. Sorry, not Dog Day Afternoon, what am I saying? It's um, Groundhog Day. I don't know. Oh, right. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. Dog Day Afternoon, what the heck. Um, There you go. If someone does Dog Day Afternoon meets Starship Troopers, let's have a conversation. Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) But my point being, Starship Troopers meets Groundhog Day. Genius, genius, genius idea. It's one sentence, you get it. It's the, it's, you know, an alien invasion movie um, where the main character must keep repeating it over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, but unless you have that big an idea, don't write it. If you're like, if it's like a mid-range idea or this or it's that, look, there are those scripts that do sell from time to time, like a great rom-com idea or something like that. Um, they do, those things do sell. I'm not to say they don't happen, but more often than not, what people are looking for are these Big ideas, you know. Um, so unless it's that, don't fool yourself and 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 say that it's a studio movie. It's because it's not. Mm-hmm. The second kind of thing you can write is what I would call an under ten million dollar thriller. Perfect versions of this are um, Don't Breathe and Lights Out. Huge successes this year. Okay, Lights Out is kind of your classic James Wan style. You know, thriller in the vein of like The Conjuring, Insidious, what I would mostly call the Blumhouse supernatural style thrillers, okay? Now, you have to have a really, like there's a good script that sold last year, I want to say, called Mm Bed Rest. That was a very simple idea which is a woman on bed rest believes the house she's in haunted. So the great twist on that is like the woman is on bed rest so she can't really leave the bed very much. So what do you do, right? And All also right. the ghost was specifically tailored to someone on bed rest because she was pregnant and the ghost wanted her baby, right? Exactly. Mama's another good example of this. Stuff like, you know, you've seen it a million times but there's, it follows less contained but you know, they're very smart. Like it follows this genius idea is like what if a curse was an STD, right? So those are, but those obviously under $10 million thrillers. That, so that's the supernatural thriller one. The other one is like something like Don't Breathe, which is, you know, that's like Panic Room is a good example of this as well. It's like really smart, The Purge is like, The Purge is a good example. Like really smart, um, by contained, it doesn't necessarily mean it all takes place in a one house because I've been pitched every one house idea in the entire world. Like, About phone booth?
2: Yeah, I mean like,
1: but is there a cool spin on it? Can you find a cool spin on it? Mm-hmm. And you better find a really original spin on it. The way that Don't Breathe is like, what if you broke into a blind man's house, right? Mm-hmm. And every action is based around the idea that this guy is blind, but he's the most dangerous blind man, short of Daredevil, you right. know? So like, there's, that's really interesting you know mm-hmm. so you have to find a really original way into the material and if it's not a, that original you're not no one's going to care you know right. It's it just has to be really original by the way the budget for that should generally be under 10 million dollars so if you're writing don't write the 20-30 million dollar movie because nobody wants to make it the studios don't want to make it and the financiers can't afford to make right. it so just be aware there's a real grey zone out there that does not tend to get made that often right. you know
0: and for the writers out there who aren't line producers maybe you can sort of explain sort of that contained you know, 10 million and under sort of uh, script. Basically, if there's car
1: chases, right. wrong. You know, it should be, you know, it. look at Don't Breathe, look at the movies that are Panic Room, look at the movies that have, I mean, even though Panic cost costs like a zillion dollars, but it's just David Fincher made sure, like, sure, You know, of course he turned a, a contained movie into a 60 million dollar movie, but it's a great movie. Right. Um, you know, look at these smart, you know, relative, you know, bigger, you know, the kind of, Fewer locations. Fewer don't actors. have a massive shootout. Don't have massive explosions. Don't have a ton of locations. You know. Right. Um, there are exceptions. There's things like I would. The, the third kind of category maybe to think about is like what I would call a smart sci-fi thriller. Um, Grounded sci-fi thriller, by which I mean *Limitless*, by which I mean mm, *Source Code*, sure. by which I mean it's uh, the the trick to really with these sci-fi thrillers is like they take place on our present-day world. You know *Looper* is great, but *Looper* is a huge world. You mm-hmm. know *Looper* costs like 35, 40 million dollars. It got made because it was Ryan Johnson. Right. You know, um, you want to do something more like *Source Code* or *Limitless*, um, maybe *Moon* if you can pull it off. That is a future world, but like that's very contained. *The Purge*. Is probably actually falls into this category to some degree because it is sci-fi, although it's all in one location essentially. So you could do like a world where, but it has to take place in a very contained location, or you can do something like Limitless. My source code kind of takes place in one location, but where it's like the future, but it looks the future looks exactly the future or the present day. It looks exactly like it does right now, you know, Um, because that's not going to cost them. You know, making minority reports really expensive because you have to retrofit every single car and all the dress. Whereas if, like, if I'm like, oh, like something like Limitless or the spec we sold to Fox called Capsule, it's like it's present day, but like one person has a sci-fi thing, right. you know. Um, Chronicle is a good example of this as well, yeah. you know. Uh, that's a good example of like it's our world, but like one or two people have like a slight difference, you know. Um, so those are the things that you should be aiming for. Those are the things that um, work best. And so the last script that I would say that you can write or should consider writing, I would say, that I would talk to my clients about is um, kind of more of a blacklist aimed script, you know? Um, you know, in terms of the kind of, so that's kind of a way to kind of get some buzz, get some notoriety, right. get out there. Um,
0: when you say that, what do you mean by that?
1: Yes, yes. So. Look, the most obvious way and, and you know, I've had a couple of scripts, the two scripts that I had on the hit list that I personally rep are very much in this vein. Um, the most obvious thing is a biopic mm-hmm. okay? and a biopic of a relatively well-known person. Sure. Um, and so in this case, the blackli- I'll, I'll talk about the two scripts I had in the blacklist. I'll talk about kind of how, I, how I found them or and or developed them essentially. Um, so the first, the script that I had, the kind of highest in the blacklist at 60 votes, it was written by Elise Hollander, um, who's actually my fiance. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it was was a biopic of Madonna, um, but it focused on a very narrow window in time, and that is essentially the early 80s, before Madonna's first album came out, and kind of looked at um, her kind of rise to fame, essentially, and specifically a relationship she had with uh, the guy who kind of helped produce her first album, Jelly Bean Benitas. Um, and you know we worked on that for. By the way, we worked on it for like a couple of years. You, could, you know, she had a day job and all that kind of stuff, and so it took a little while also to figure out the right, the best version of it. But you know, looking at that script, it's a, it's about a very well-known person. It's about Madonna, obviously. Um, B, it's about a very specific window in her life, and I think that's the really one of the key things to think about with these biopics is you don't want to do what we call cradle to grave. You want to do a very specific window, a pivot point in their life, if mm-hmm. you would. You know, and the third thing about it was that you know it kind of it showed some insight into her that you didn't know right show a side to the person that we don't necessarily know before you know an insight that you haven't quite seen before like for me like we're gonna do madonna doing her during the sex book or her doing her you know late her relation with Sean Panner, that stuff was not quite as interesting because the struggle was kind of the interesting thing. you know I think if you look at like Aaron Sorkins biopic of steve jobs he 's focusing on three pivot points in steve Jobs' life essentially and there 's like a th- and the character's kind of run as a thread throughout that a continuum essentially mm-hmm. his relationship with his daughter, his relationship with kate winslet 's character right. with seth rogan 's character you know Wozniak, et etc et etc et cetera you know and then social network is very much about. Um, the founding and creation of, of Facebook, and then the, kind of the ad, using the, the kind of deposition as, an, as kind of a device to kind of like how did it come to this essentially, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so you know the way to think about the blacklist is uh, for these scripts is kind of like, look, it's our pre-existing IP. Like I'm not going to get the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. You know, buddy, minds doing that, but like you know, we're not going to get that or of the Popeye or like you know the Archie comics or whatever. Those are pre-existing IPs that are owned by large corporations. What the pre existing mm. IP we can do, even though we don't have the rights to it necessarily, is you can write a Madonna biopic mm-hmm. uh, and you can have people kind of excited about reading it, you know? Um, and you can use that IP to kind of leverage people's attention, essentially. Um, but I think you have to be smart about what you choose. The other biopic on there was, uh, was called The Kings of Maine, um, and it's about Stephen King and the running of Kerry. Right. Um, And, you know, I'd found that through the blacklist.com, I should say, the website. It was on there and by uh, a client, now a client of mine called Kathy Charles. We eventually uh, met and really liked each other. She'd written a version of the script that um, I think needed some work and that it kind of had three different timelines. It had Stephen King. As a child, Stephen King in college, meeting his wife and Stephen King run and carry. And it felt like the best thing to do was really focus on that Stephen King run and carry thing. So we worked on it for a good while, like I want to say six to nine months, and got in really good shape and eventually took it out and got a great agent and got her and got a lot of meetings through it. Um, really always seeing it really as a sample, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing with Blonde Ambition, although we've been fortunate enough that Mike DeLuca and Brett Ratner um, and Rat Pack have come on board to produce it and are really interested in, in seeing if there's a chance to really make, in a blonde ambition, the Manana script into a movie. Um, and so we didn't expect that. It was really just written as a sample. Um, so if you're thinking of the blacklist and t- writing something that kind of aimed towards it, what I would say is focus on, you know, focus either on a, an amazing true story um that nobody knows about um you know there's one that was on the hit list called a which sounds amazing which is about i think a woman who sails into a hurricane to try to find the mind she loves i haven't read it mm-hmm. but, like that's an amazing true story you know wow that's great or by focusing on um you know the real life story you know how bruce stings being wrote born in the usa or, or whatever you want to do mm-hmm. you know um focusing on a real life person I would personally steer people clear of writing behind the scenes of a movie. Um, I know that's been on there a number of times. I personally find it a little played out. You also run a very high risk of pissing off people who are still in the industry, like (laughs) Steven Spielberg or Francis Ford Coppola. You know, it's just not a smart move, I would say. Uh, I always try to, like, I see both the Stephen King script and the Madonna script as love letters to them. Mm -hmm. I think they really celebrate them. I'm not particularly interested, as a general rule, there are exceptions. I mean, to me, someone like The Founder, um, that movie about um, Ray Kroc, that's a amazing biopic, you know. That's or The Social Network. I don't necessarily see those as takedowns of those characters, although in a way they kind of are. But I think what they really are are exploring, it's like Citizen Kane, exploring certain ideas through those people. Um, but I, you know, generally err on the side of positivity, um, or I try to, or celebration certainly. Um, so. And, you know, in the third kind of category, we'd be writing, like, some kind of insane script. Like, a client of mine um, who I've started working with, I started working with after he was on the blacklist. It's a guy called Billy Goulston who wrote an amazing script called I Am Ryan Reynolds. That was a comedy look at Ryan Reynolds pre-Deadpool success mm. and having a bit of an existential crisis, you know. But, again, you're writing these screen bullets and you should have the expectation that it will never... Ever get made? There's a great script on there called Chewie that was about um, the guy who played Chewbacca in the first Star Wars movie and his kind of life. I think he was like an orderly at a hospital um, and how he got pulled into Star Wars and how kind of and Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher and George Lucas and all that kind of crazy world. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like a great, I would have done that in a heartbeat, you know? Right. Um, that's, although that kind of contradicts my like, behind the scenes of a movie thing, but it's really done in a loving fashion, you know? I wouldn't want to do the George Lucas and making a Star Wars movie, right. but doing the Chewbacca story, coming into it from a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern aspect, that's interesting to me. Um, so, you know, for me, it's about doing either, if I'm going to do these kind of scripts, doing a famous person, but doing the story that you don't know, or doing a true life story that people are not aware of, or thirdly, doing such an some I I actually have not done and the kind of I am and Reynolds style thing. Um, it's it is, it's a little tricky to pull off, I think. Right. But that is kind of the third category, more of a comedy thing, really. Um, but just in terms of thinking about the blacklist, um, if you were aiming for that. A, be aware you'll never sell it, so just know that. But hopefully, it gets you an agent, a manager, and an agent, you know, mm-hmm. um, and gets you some notoriety and gets you a bunch of meanings. Um, but those are kind of three categories that I kind of push people towards either the studio movie, the kind of like independently financed thriller, um, you know, super, whether it's supernatural, um, contained, or sci fi, grinded sci fi, or the blacklist script. And I think those are kind of the best three, you know, things in feature. I don't do a lot of comedy, I should say. I do have some comedy clients, but as a general, I don't do a lot of comedy. Um, so that's a kind of a beast unto itself, I would say. Um, but those are th- the three main buckets essentially that I, my clients tend to operate in, and you hopefully move from writing a blacklist script to maybe writing more of a studio movie or, or that kind of thing. But we can talk about that in a, in a bit. Um, but like those are three things to kind of think about. Like how do I make? How do I break? How do I break my, break into the industry essentially?
0: Right right okay now I'd love to talk about excuse me um we've talked about uh first and foremost asking yourself do I want to be a writer and what Mm -hmm. that means um secondly we've covered what kind of writer do they want to be feature or tv then we've covered what should they be writing because we're sort of focusing more on features because it's easier, quote-unquote. It's still difficult. But I, I would say it's, it's easier. definitely
1: easier than TV.
0: Well, I'm just saying easier, quote-unquote, right. meaning, like, it's still not easy to break in. Oh, yeah. But it's easier. Easier. It's a
1: relative yeah. thing, yeah. It's a
0: relative thing, exactly. It's like, it's not impossible, just almost impossible. Right. You
1: know? Is it, like, so you're saying I got a chance.
0: Right. Is it easier to climb, you know, K2 versus... Uh, Everest. Everest, yeah. You're like, well, well, you know, slightly, approachable. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> right. Maybe slightly. Um, and then... Uh, Let's talk about the, the the sort of writing process. They have their idea, whether it's the uh, contained thriller, right. or whether it's a uh, blacklist, tiny, mm-hmm. you know, unique biopic, or yeah. whether it's something a big studio tent pole film that they have a really unique take on something that's familiar, really unique, really unique on something familiar. What's their next step? I mean, You know, I don't want to go totally into too much
1: writing process because I think there are a lot of good books like Save the Cat and sure. so on that really cover that. What I would like to stress is A, looking at that log that like we've talked about before and really writing it two sentences, three sentences, and stress testing it. And think of it like, i really gotta I'm making the it's like it's kinda of like if you're going on a road trip like a lot of people are like I just gotta start, got start, uh, got start running it's gotta start running I start running it's kinda of like being like I'm like oh you're going on a road trip where you're going I don't know man I'm gonna figure it out as I right. go how get there I don't know man I'm just gonna start driving and hopefully it all works out. No if you're driving somewhere you're like okay I'm driving to Phoenix right. where I'm going that's my destination how are you getting I'm taking these streets and these highways right that's how I'm getting there you're not like well man I don't know if I'm gonna figure it out um so and, and and do I want to go to Phoenix? Is Phoenix right. the right place for me? Right. Why am I going to Phoenix? Well, because just it's, I feel like I should, you know. Or if you want to get a job, there are other jobs for what you do in Phoenix, etc., etc. You get my metaphor, which is: sure. is your long line unique and interesting? And don't just tell your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whoever. Go and tell every single person. Hopefully, tell people in the industry and look at Deadline. and Be like, has anything sold that is similar to this? Because if it has, don't write it. Because, like and by which I mean like, like, I want to do a time travel thing about a guy who like jumps back in time, but it's like, a, there's a sci-fi inv- invasion. Okay, like, Edge of tomorrow. Yeah, but like, it's slightly different because in this case, it's a woman or what, like, no, like, it's right. not different enough, right? right. Um, really, is it unique? So, that's the log line. Then, you should outline, please outline. Please, you're doing yourself a favor and you're doing me a favor down the road. Really rigorously outline. It's a lot easier to change things and outline in the script. And then write, and then rewrite, and then rewrite. Like As I say, writing is rewriting. And then I want you to show it to your friends. And I want you to show it to people you know, you're know, hopefully in a writer's group with or whatever. One of the things I do at my company, which I may have spoken before, is I do this thing called the circle of trust, where I show it to six or eight of my other clients and th- when a script gets to a certain point of being good, like third or fourth draft, show them the script, they send me a ton of notes, I compile all those notes into a single document, and then me and the writer go through those notes, and if three people say the main character is unsympathetic and four people say the first act is boring, we got some problems to fix, okay? Mm-hmm. It's almost like an audience test screening. And so every script that I take, and then sometimes I do a second round round of notes with different writer, different people by the way. So like two to three people at that time who've not read it previously. And so when I take out stuff, it's been stress tested. Taken a, like a we've taken a sledgehammer to it and try to beat it up as much as possible. And you've got to be that way because the marketplace is the most ruthless thing out there. And it'll be like, no, nah, no, nah. you can work on things for like, two years and then go, ah no, not for me. Right. And like you got to at least if you go out there and it's really really stress tested, at least people are like you know the running was good.
0: That'll be a minimal kind of thing. And you take out something that's really you got to give yourself the best shot possible. But what I want to throw in mm-hmm. for a lot of listeners is. These are your clients that you're stress testing it with. Yes, it's not prospective clients. Like, don't expect to send John or any manager yes. worth their salt a draft of a script saying, "Oh, well, we'll fix it." They'll they'll read it and they'll do what yeah. they like, and then they'll they can change it however they want. We can make it better. No, no, it has to be great because you are that stress test. I'm gonna keep...
1: read. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. That's well put. I I, 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 you know, um, it happens. But I'm like, I'm I got drafted something. I'm about to read it, and they're like, oh, well here's another draft of it. Or, oh, right. you read that draft? Oh, can, you it, can I send you a later draft? Yeah. Or like I Have something. you read it yet? Or if some people will be it? like, hey man, can I send you an outline? Right. I'm like, no, I'm not your manager. I'm not going to, no. Like, you know. Right. And so, no. It's, it's not my job, unless I'm your manager, right. to do that. And by the way, I'm going to read the first 15 pages. And honestly, if it doesn't grab me, and by which I mostly mean the dialogue, if I'm really being honest, or the, and or the concept. Um, grab me, I'm just be like, yeah, not for me. And Mm -hmm. that's it. I'm not gonna read, you're gonna be like, well, dude, it gets really good in page 60. I don't care. And by the way, nobody cares. So like really be rigorous about it. So that's kind of like, just in terms of process, that's the thing I would say is B the same way I told you at the opening, do I really want to be a writer? B do is this is this the right script? Is this A, before I even start writing it, is this the right thing to write? And then B, did I outline it? Is it the, is it the most interesting different version? of Because don't write something, like, You know, it's about this guy, and then this stutter gets kidnapped, but he has a special set of skills. But he's like an army ranger, not a navy, it's like, well, you know, it's like, <laughs> all right, okay, I've seen this before, but no, you don't get it this time, you know, he's from Chicago, or whatever. It's like, well, no, it's not, no, it's not unique enough, right. okay? And just reject, you know? Um, and so, you know, that to so be really really rigorous you know that's the only thing i would say about writing process is is kind of that um and so you know i guess to roll in a little bit to the next Next kind of question is like, okay, your screenplay is done and it's, it's, you've, done you followed my advice and oh man, it's so good. It's so, this is the best example of your work and you worked really hard on You didn't just send me the first draft, you did like five drafts mm-hmm. and you got notes from people and you actually listen to them just say, like, I don't agree with that note. You right. like really listen to it, you know? Um, and you, and you, it, it's good and it feels unique and it's great. So now what? Well, there's not a lot of ways to get things to people, okay? First thing is where I differ from some of the people is query letters. I really do read query letters. By the way, you know what I don't read? I don't, or I, I read them but I just ignore them. Or like, excuse me, do you take query letters? <laughs> I'm not going to reply to your question of whether I take right. query letters or not. There's enough places you could figure out if I do or I don't, you know? Secondly, so then you send me the query letter. I'm going to skim it, see if the log line is interesting to me. If it is, I'm going to send you a release form and, and ask for the script. And you'd fill the release form and then send me back with the script. If I don't respond to you, it's because I was people literally email me five times to make sure I got their queer letter. If I didn't respond, it's kinda like you go on a you, you meet a girl at a bar and you get her number and then she doesn't text you, you keep texting, like, hey, I just want to make sure you got this right. text. Guess what? <laughs> she got it. Right. And she's now, no interest, you right, know? Right. Wrong. Incorrect. Um and so, you know, the queer letter, I stand by that. I think that's that's a, I've met I have clients through queer letters, sure. it happens. The blacklist.com is probably the best way to do it, and put it up there. And let me tell you, like when the blacklist sends out, it's you know, couple. I think it's like once or twice a week they send out an email. Like here are the things that got good reviews. I go through it and I look at those log lines. If the log lines grab me, then I click on it and I read the first five to ten pages. So if I like it, then I'll email. I'll have the thing email it to me, and then I'll read it. Okay, but I it, I really do think that's the best best way to do it. And then there's competitions. Um, the competitions that I personally read for. Um, I'm going to try and remember there's a few. I think I read Big Break, Final Draft, big Break, um, Austin Film Festival. I've, I' found a client every single year through the Austin Film Festival. Um, the Nichols, um, I will look through the semifinalist list for any log lines that are interesting to me and request the screenplay. By the way, if I request your screenplay, it'd be great if you sent it to me because I've requested. <laughs> I literally got an email yesterday from a person whose script I requested in October. Wow. <laughs> and by the way, that's not a great sign. No. You're not like, oh wow, that's so great because like this guy's clearly on top of it. It, it doesn't right. make you feel great about the the writing, but whatever. Um, I'm still gonna read it, I guess. But um, you know, uh, look at the competition. Don't send it to every single competition. The pa- I think I, I read the page. You know. I do read kind of the top ones, essentially. Um, so you know, look at the ones that are kind of very well respected and send it to those places. Um, I act as a reader, and I do pay attention to what wins, wins that stuff. Um, so that is, that is a real thing. Um, but I, those are probably the three best avenues, I would say. Oh yeah, please don't send me paper. Query letters are re- I still get them occasionally. Really? Um, yeah, someone sent me their entire screenplay recently wow. with like the WJ registry thing on it. I was yeah, like Please don't do that. No, don't. Just send me an email, save yourself the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, so that's kind of the best way to do it. And and that's kind of the, the there's really not all, I wish I wish there was more ways to do it, but the reality is the query it's the query letter, the blacklist.com website, and um, and you know the competitions. And those are kind of the three best ways to get your scripts, at least get your log line in front of some agents. Well, some managers, probably not agents. I don't think agents care. Um, That's the best way. Um, And so I guess the next thing I would kind of roll into essentially would be um, what does success look like? And this is actually, I think, uh, something that comes up sometimes with, with my clients. I have to kind of let them know. For a lot of people, success... Is like oh, I sold my screenplay, or I'm getting my screenplay made. And don't get me wrong, that is ma- That's sure. that's the end goal. But success is not necessarily that. Like if you write a screenplay and it gets you a manager, it gets you a manager that you really like, that screenplay was a success. Right. It got you further than you were previously. Right. Even if the, if the writer, like I'll meet with people, and be like, I love your script. I don't think I can sell it, but I want to work with you on the next one. Right. So that screenplay what you might be like, well I didn't sell, so therefore it's a failure. But right. that's not true at all. You know, it got you got you with me or a manager or whatever, you know. Or maybe that screenplay gets you a manager and then gets you an agent, but you know, they send it out and nobody likes it. But you know what? It got you a great manager, it got you a great agent. That was a success. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then the next level of success, I would say, is you take a bunch of general meetings, right? So you do a bunch of meetings. They're not specific meetings. They're just kind of people. People liked your writing. They want to go and meet you. That's great because down the road, you know, they might like. Oh, I really like that person. I want to read their next script, or like I had an idea. I might want to pitch it to Justin or like David or whoever. You Mm -hmm. know, Um, so that is another another kind of good thing to come out of it. you know, and then you know, and then maybe it sells or or, or it gets optioned or whatever. Um, what I would con- caution people is, I get meet people and they're like, "Look, I, I've you know, I've read a bunch of scripts. I'd like to get in the in the room for assignment work." mm not gonna happen. Assignment work is limited to people. Here's how you get assignment work: you sell a screenplay for a lot of money. I don't mean 10 grand. I mean for a lot of money. It makes enough of an impact that it gets in the trades. The real trades deadline. Um, holder Porter variety those are kind of the three most prominent trades I would say mm-hmm. um, uh, so that um, you are pretty high up on the blacklist by the way it's it's still it doesn't guarantee you anything but at least it'll get you in the conversation sure. you know or the big one is you got a movie made, right. and that movie was a success. It wasn't just released straight to Netflix or VOD or whatever. Right. It actually was. And look, it can be like The Invitation or something like that, and like that's huge and that's great. But everyone involved in that was pretty big, anyhow. But um, but you know something that gets a lot of acclaim, like Blue Rune or It Follows or whatever. Um, you know, smaller movie, great, but like. You got a movie made, and an a- actually, it wasn't just a small release that nobody knows about. It was like a real thing that got some real buzz right. to it, you know. Then you're in the assignment game. By the way, when I say the assignment game, I don't mean like, oh my God, I like your movie. Here, here's some money. You are competing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, with like four or five other people. At and, least, yeah. And by the way, what that means is you have to basically outline an entire movie, an entire movie. You go in and you pitch it, and they go. Your your odds are like one out of five or one out of six or whatever. And they go, eh, nah. What else you got? Yeah, they don't. They don't say what else you got because because you're pitching on this assignment, oh, right, right? Right, right? Right, right. They don't say what else you got. They yeah. just say, yeah, no. You know, you're not going to sell a pitch most likely, and you're almost never did a solo pitch and you go out for that assignment. You think you want it, but here's the reality. You're going to put as much time into it as you would put into your next spec. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to outline the whole fucking thing, but you don't own the rights to it. Right. You do not. You're doing, okay, I'm going to adapt this manga. They're looking for someone to adapt this manga. Here's my entire pitch. Here's like an eight-page pitch of what the manga would be. Yeah, no, it's not right for us. What can you do with that eight-page pitch? You can do nothing with right. it. That you it spent is, you know, six
0: weeks working on yeah, a yeah Nothing. Mobile.
1: Zero right. zip done waste of your time. Mm-hmm. I've had clients who spent years chasing assignments, nothing to show for it. Mm-hmm. A year, nothing. No money, no new material. What's you know? What's Billy done lately, or Bill, or I, I actually don't mean to, since they're saying Billy, I have a client called Billy, it's actually didn't mean to imply Billy, but like, what have they done? Ah, oh, they were chasing assignments, it didn't work out. You know? It's better, so if you're gonna chase assignment, you better A, know you can knock it out of the park, and B, you better really love it, because chances are, you're not going to get it. Right. The other thing I would say is, don't go after, this is, this is more of those kind of champagne problems. Don't go after an assignment just to go, oh, they came to me and I feel like I should try to pitch right. on it, even though I don't really like it. Right. If you take an assignment, somehow win, I don't know how you would, but somehow, well, A, if you pitch an assignment, they can tell that you kind of phoned it in. They're going to be annoyed because you wasted their time. And they could have put that slot with someone else. Secondly, if you somehow get an assignment that you phoned in or you're not that excited about, you're not going to do a great job at that script. It's hard enough to do a good job at a script if you love it. Right. If you like, kind of like it, or you're mediocre, or like I don't know, I'm not really a thriller guy, but whatever. Sure, I'll take your money. You're going to probably do a crappy job at it. And then what's going to happen? Because you're early on in your career, they're going to call up and be like, Hey, what go- went on with Doug of that assignment? Oh yeah, I didn't do a very good job. Oh, we're not going to hire him. Thank God. Dot right. bullet touch. Everybody in this town talks to everybody else. Mm-hmm. We're we're all on the side, like the writers are on one side and the executives on the other side. And any executive can pick up a phone and be like, Hey, so uh, how did you run that, M- that thing at MGM for you guys? I ah, didn't do a very good job. Ah, cool. Well, good to know. That's it. It's mm. over. Done. You were done. Like, you've got to go write another spec and, like, rebuild yourself, right. essentially. Right. Basically, you resell um, yourself. But what I would say is, Anyone who's like, oh, I wrote a script and it got me an agent. Uh, well, agent, I'd like to get me some assignment work now. Let's make it out. No. Wrong. You have no profile to get assignment work. You're going in for assignment work against people who have already done assignment work. You know, So that should be your last thing to think about, essentially. Right. I, I just say it because so many people are like, hey, I'd like to get into some assignment work now. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't quite work like that. Right. It's not like, well, here you, you got an agent. Here you, you, know, here you right. go. Here's the key to the castle. Agents to sell you. You better give them something to sell. Right. You know? And the more stake there is, the more there is to sell. So that's kind of like in terms of what to expect in success. Does right. that all kind of make sense? No, it
0: does. I mean, and just because you do well at AAA, now right. you're in the major leagues. Now mm-hmm. you're facing major league pitching. Now you're uh, p- facing professionals. And in terms of competition for the same jobs, mm-hmm. in terms of the people reading your material, and so getting an agent or a manager is obviously that first step. It doesn't get easier, although you're now in the game, yes. you know, but it doesn't get... Again, it goes back to that first question, do you want to be a
1: writer? Yeah. You have to understand every yeah. single time it's not going to ever get that much easier. It's, right. In fact, it's going to get just as hard every single time. And right. then they can be really draining to people. Um, like I said, a lot easier ways to make a lot more money. Um, and then kind of the last question on the kind of writer's journey on this whole thing is like, okay, you've got an agent. Okay, you've got a manager. Okay, you sold a script. What now? What next? Essentially, right? And like, this could be what next. I, I took out a script. I sent to a, I wrote a great script. I, to, I sent it to a bunch of people and of query letters. Put it on the blacklist.com. Nothing happened. Nothing mm-hmm. happened. So what now? You pick yourself up. You do the same thing, even if you sold a script. You pick yourself up and you look at the marketplace and be like, okay. You know, maybe if, by the way, if it didn't sell, maybe you should be like, maybe my brand isn't horror comedy. By the way, please stop writing horror comedy scripts. Please. <laughs> this is a digression. What that is. Horror comedy is like, um, oh gosh, what's a good example of it? Um, Shaun of the Dead is like a actual oh, okay. really yeah, yeah. good example of it. Right. But more often than that, I can't tell you, I'm like, it's, like, it's like basically like Friday the 13th, but like the books. And like, oh. there are so many examples of. Failures. by the way, as much as I love Shalo did, it didn't crack 20 million dollars in this country, right you know like people do not make money. There's a great movie called Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Another horror comedy didn't do any business. Um, there's a movie that used to be called Kitchen Sink. I forget what it ended up being called. I forget. Um, this classmate of mine from NYU, Robbie Pickering directed it. It got went straight to VOD mm-hmm. you know after being like a top blacklist group. Horror comedy is so hard to do. Please don't write it anymore because nobody wants to read it, because nobody can make any money from it. Right. Um, but anyways, if you've written something and maybe you got no react, I would say the difference between if you sold a script or you've got a manager, and would we'll be like this, you got a manager, or an agent, or you sold a script or you got a bunch of meetings off of it, and it's a sci-fi thriller, don't go write a wacky comedy. Be like, okay, I wrote a sci-fi thriller, I wrote source code, okay? I probably should write another thing in the vein of source code. Whether it's sci-fi or action thriller or mm-hmm. just straight up. Like the person who wrote source code could write a great panic room, you know. They're not going to be, no one's going to be like, oh man, we, we gotta do, we're going to do the Nair Fairley Brothers I movie. Mean, Let's call the panic room guy. Let's right. call the source code guy. <laughs> right. Not, not going to happen that way. Right. And, and vice versa, by the way. Um, so what I, the only thing I would say is like if you've, if you've got a manager, you suddenly got a manager, you suddenly got an agent, or you suddenly got a bit of a profile based on one screenplay, look at that screenplay and build your brand. You know what I'm saying? Be like, okay, I've had success or had a good reaction with this one thing. I should stay in this area. I should continue writing something in this vein. It's better to be a master at one vocation mm-hmm. than try to master, than try to like be, you know,
2: master of all trades. Master right, exactly.
1: Um, what I would say though, is if you didn't get any reaction to your screenplay, um, at all, like just on the long line or whatever, then maybe be like, okay, maybe I'm not the right comedy. Like my old boss, Andrew Marlowe, he first started being a comedy writer and didn't have any successes as that. And so it transitioned into writing action movies and has been phenomenally successful, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people start in one thing and then shift over to the other and, and, and so on and so forth, essentially. So what I would say. But that only really works if you had not had any success. If you've had a modicum of success, whether it's getting a manager or getting an agent, the reason they signed you is because of that. Please, right. please don't. If you change up your brand or you decide to take on a writing partner, everything gets thrown up in the air. We're like, well, I signed you. I didn't sign you and your writing partner. And right. Now you're starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. Or I signed you on a comedy script and now you want to write a horror script. Well, I don't know if you can because I haven't read anything to that thing. So if you haven't had success, maybe reinvent yourself. Or maybe be like, what didn't work? What didn't work about this script? Why did people not like it? Does it sound too similar? Am I not? I would say like, if nobody responded to your log line, then it doesn't mean that you're not good at writing it because no one actually read your script to tell if you're any good about it, but it means that you're not very good at writing. You're not very good at looking at concepts, okay? Mm -hmm. But if people read your script and everyone passed on it, maybe you're not a thriller writer. Maybe you're not a writer, I don't know, you know? But like really take a hard look and be like, what didn't work? But if you did have some success with it, as in you got an agent, you got a manager, you got a bunch of production companies that should certainly if you sold or you optioned it, stay in that vein and continue pushing forward. You know? And if you got, let's say you read it and you got some maybe people who read the screen had the good responses, look at those responses and be like, okay, how do I get better? You know what I'm saying? By the way, right. the general overall thing, if you didn't get a good response is what I would say is write something more interesting. Right, you probably wrote something that's a little generic, right, but that's I would right. say ninety percent of the things that I pass on, maybe more are just yeah, it didn't feel original it didn't feel really interesting, you know, and it doesn't mean you have to reinvent the wheel. What I want is I think McCoy had a great by the way you should follow Chris McCory on Twitter because he has great tweets. Here it's some of the effect of what they're give them give them what they're looking for, and what they 're looking for is they are looking for. The same but different. They're essentially like tell them a story they've heard before, but from in a completely different way. Right. I, I'm paraphrasing here, but that's essentially what he said. So Snow and the Huntsman. Everyone knows the story. of Snow White. You probably don't remember the Huntsman, but you definitely know the story of Snow White. What if you took it from a completely different angle, right? right? So that's a smart way of looking at material. You know. Well,
0: one one example of that I had read um, a while back was Robin Hood, mm-hmm. and it was another take on Robin Hood that was bought by T- made into a. BBC show, or bought by BBC, um, where... uh,
1: Nottingham was the hero? Right. Actually, this is the basis, this is funny. Yeah. No, this is the basis for the Universal movie that, um, it's funny because I had a Robin Hood, I I had have a Robin Hood at Warner Brothers, Project Warner Bros. Yeah. Um, No, this is actually the basis for the Russell Crowe, so this is a crazy story. Um, these guys had written this fun script called Nottingham that was all the idea was Nottingham was the hero and Robin who was the bad guy so Universal buys this for like a million dollars back right. in like the heyday of like million dollar sales it's great it's great it's great they're Russell Crowe on, they were Ridley Scott on board and they're Russell Crowe and they're like yeah but like what if we did a Robin story but like what if Robin Hood was a hero? Not, uh, uh. So they rewrote it, and the guys who wrote the original script still get like story credit on right. it. But they managed to make it just a pretty much straightforward Robin Hood story. And they, so, they bought, so it didn't get turned into a BBC show or anything. It got bought by Universal, and then they just turned into a pretty straightforward Robin Hood
0: story. Well, this one was similar, but this one was different. This one I actually read was a few years back, a couple years back. This it wasn't was, Nottingham? No, it wasn't the, uh, a film. It was a TV show. And it was Nottingham was actually Robin Hood, they're the same person. Oh. So Nottingham, the sheriff of Nottingham felt bad that he was you know, basically oppressing everyone, but because to avoid the wrath of the king, he became Robin Hood at night to rob and give back to the poor.
1: Right, well that's, that's a fun idea. Yeah, yeah I mean it's like, kind of an interesting. I think twist. looking at public, what I would say is like, look, another smart strategy in terms of the big studio stuff is looking at public domains. The problem is like everything, it, yeah. feels, it feels like everything. But I tell you what I think that was a genius idea. Is what I haven't seen the movie yet, obviously, but Kong Skull Island. That was a great way into a different way of King Kong, you know? And like, that's a really smart, really smart idea, you know? Is there a different way into an H.G. Wells story that you can do? Is there a different way into, um, like, right now they're doing a Sherlock Holmes movie with, like, um, John C. Riley and Will Ferrell, you know what I'm saying? Is there a different way into King Arthur that you could do? I mean, maybe not King Arthur, because there's a King Arthur movie coming out next year, but, um, you know, looking at, is there a different way into the Hunchback of Notre Dame? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, Jekyll and Hyde. These things are in the public domain. Again, that's a pre existing IP kind of stuff. A lot of it's kind of already been done a million times, but you know, if you can find it in an interesting way, like we talked with Snow and the Huntsman, that's a smart way. In. but like another good thing. Well they is
0: started off as books, but like uh, Sense and Sensibility and
1: Austin, yeah, Jane Austen. Yeah, and then and, and zombies. It, zombies. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, it didn't work out, unfortunately, at the box office right. but Um, In either case. Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Same guy, yeah. yeah. Same guy. Um, But what I would say is like, look, as much as we're talking about like, we're like, everyone's like, oh, we're just talking about pre-existing IP. But look at Don't Breathe, right? Don't Breathe is just a home invasion movie. Although, A, it's from the point of view of the robbers, not from the point of view of the, usually it's from the point of view of the people who who are being invaded, essentially. In this case, it's from the point of view of the invaders. And it's like, what if you invade the wrong house? By the way, I've met a million of those scripts. It's like you broke into a guy's house, but he's a serial killer. Ah, yeah. or you know? special
0: forces, right? Whatever, yeah. right?
1: Well, in this case, he is, but right, but he's blind. But he's blind. Okay, that's interesting. You know, yeah. um, that's a really smart way to do. There's a movie called Wait Until Dark. Um, I think it's called Wait Until Dark. I believe it's an Audrey Hepburn movie where she's a blind woman and these robbers are trying to break into her apartment in order to get something. I've actually never made it all the way through, but it's an interesting concept. And clearly, Don't Breathe is like inspired by, it, but it's just a flip of that, right? Mm-hmm. Where what if the blind person was the most dangerous person in the house instead of being the the old lady who's scared or whatever, right. you know? Um, and so I think looking, at, Don't Breathe is not the world's most original concept, but that's fine because. It was a really fun spin on that concept, you know? Right. Um, and so I think it doesn't mean that you have to go and do The Hunchback of Notre Dame in a sci-fi setting. It, being original can mean The Purge. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Being original can mean Don't Breathe. Being original can be like um, the Be Green Room, this great, um, you know, Jeremy Sonnier thriller. Being original can mean It Follows, right? If I told you, what if I told you there's a movie where a bunch of teenagers are haunted by a curse? Oh, you mean like Final Destination? Oh, you mean like the you know like yeah, a million other things? Yeah. What if I told you that curse was an STD? Okay. You know. And by the way, there are other versions of that, of that out there. You know, but um, but it follows was really and the idea and also the with the curse interacts is it just doesn't kill you after like seven days? Mm-hmm. What it means it's like it's coming after you, and the only way you can get rid of it is by passing the curse on to someone else. Right. It's a really simple idea, obviously very well executed, but it's not original in right. the sense of like it's not like it's adaptation or it's not like it's being John Malkovich. It is, it is, it is an old story done in a very smart like with, with right. a little twist.
0: Like the others. Which, yes. Which I won't give the, the
1: the I mean you should be able to give well but here's the way but here's the way here's the thing the others does even on the face of it that's original right. is um the kids can't be in sunlight, right? Or you take right. this project we set up over Broad Green last year that was on the blacklist called Eli. Eli is a boy in a haunted house. Man, there's been a million of those, right? right? I think the only things that are original about Eli are, A, it's from the point of view of a 13-year-old kid, which is novel. Most of these movies are from the point of view of a grown-up. Maybe there's a kid in it, but like, but the big twist is Eli is a bubble boy. He's, a, he's essentially an autoimmune disorder. He can't leave the house. Mm. What if you were in a haunted house? And you couldn't mm-hmm. leave. You couldn't leave. Like, bed rest yeah. is smart. It's like, what if you were in a haunted house, but you were on bed rest, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, these are essentially what they've done is added limitations, right? right? And, like, that's a really smart idea, right? And don't breathe, if, don't, if that guy in don't breathe was a badass special forces guy, but he wasn't blind, he would just, just slaughter them in 30 seconds, movie over. Right. But the fact that he was blind, it gave these people who were otherwise completely overwhelmed by him, it gave them an advantage, right? right? You know, to some degree, but they didn't, they didn't know what they were getting into, but he also had this event, so it right. makes it kind of an interesting match. So it's something to think about, like, can you do something, can you do Panic Room, but do an interesting spin on it? And so that's looking at kind of, you know, the most dangerous game, or like Lord of the Flies, like, what is Lost but Lord of the Flies with adults, you know? With this with kind of a sci-fi, what, and what if that island and Lord of the Flies, what if it wasn't an accident that they crashed? What if there was some larger
0: mystery, mm-hmm. you know?
1: Like so, there's nothing original under the sun. There's a great. Um, this is something you should link link to that will be really useful. There's a great video series called Everything Is a Remix, and what it talks about is the idea that there's nothing new under the sun. It's this amazing documentary series. Um, I want to say something like Vimeo, um, that just talks about how every all these concepts are just remixes. Whether it's remixing you know, Quentin Tarantino, obviously being the most ex- obvious example, but like. Every, there's nothing new under the sun. Everything is just a remix of an old thing, whether it's music mm-hmm. or TV mm-hmm. concepts or movie concepts or whatever. It's just something before, but with a little bit of a twist. Right. You know. And like, look, look. By the way, look at Shakespeare. Look at go. Even a, a number one Shakespeare himself was essentially adapting older stories in a lot of cases. What we found out now, right? But like, the thing is, like, maybe you look at Shakespeare. And you're like, okay, I'm like, I'm gonna do a spin on Romeo and Juliet that you haven't quite seen before. I'm gonna do this. I'm like, there's a a script. Uh, I forget the name of it, but it's based on I think Rosaline. Rosaline. It's based on a book, and it's Romeo and Juliet told from the point of view of Rosaline, who's the girl who I think Romeo dumps or gets heartbroken by earlier, mm-hmm. earlier, earlier oh, in the wow. play, right? Yeah. It's Like that's uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are yeah. dead. Like that's Hamlet from the point of view of two minor characters. You right. know? Is there a? Sp- can you do Julius? Or the girl
0: with a pearl earring.
1: Yes, exactly. Can you do girl with a? Can you do um, Julius Caesar? but can you do a spin on it or can you do from a different point of view? Sure. You know? So it's just, I think, looking at things and your point of view is what's going to make you original. Right, you know?
0: right, absolutely. Yeah,
1: so that, that's, that's kind of like uh, that's kind of like the big, uh, I guess my, my kind of Christmas present or holiday present was kind of like, I, w- I, I thought it'd be fun to kind of, usually when we talk about these things, we talk about a lot of different ideas, but right. this is kind of like from the opening question of like, do I really want to be a writer to, okay, now that you've had, now that you've taken your script out, what next? Essentially, mm-hmm. those are kind of the questions I usually get answered. So, as I was joking with you earlier, I, you know. Now, no one ever has to talk to me ever again. It's all in this <laughs> podcast. Right. All my knowledge. It's all done. My clients should just listen to this and, and pay 10% to you. And then everything <laughs> yeah. will be fine.
0: Yeah. No, um, you will still get the same emails. How do I get an agent? I know I'll get those emails. I get those emails incessantly. Yes. How do I get an agent? Be like, just direct them to this podcast or direct them to your po- other millions of other podcasts, the Peter Dodd podcast. <laughs> it's crazy because uh, I do get, I, I get emails that aren't even addressed to me, Mm -hmm. and they're looking for an agent, they'll either say, how do I get an agent? And it's like, if you've listened to any number of our agent podcasts, you would probably get a majority of that information. Or I get emails like, I'm looking for representation. Would you like to read my script? And it's like, I'm not an agent. No, well, I mean, no those people myself. are
1: lost souls anyways. I mean, the same people when there's like um, a news post about like the latest thing that George Clooney did. Right. They'll read the bottom like, George, I'm a big fan of yours. Please reach out to me. <laughs> you know, like, there's,
0: <laughs> yeah. there's,
1: there's people out there who, whose grasp
0: of. But I don't even get the to dear George. I get there's no title. just right. Blanketing. Any- well, their,
1: their grasp of, I'll put it like this. You know, so when I first came into this industry, I was like, I, I was reading like the slush pile. Yeah. Which is, I was just an intern. and It's back when there were paper screenplays. Right. Um, people actually printed them. Before PDFs were really a big thing. Right. And um, I was, so I was reading through the slush pile, which was just the screenplays that were just sent over like blind submissions or whatever. And I was like, oh man, maybe the next Goodwill Hunting is in the slush pile. Like maybe there's just this amazing script in there, right? I was like, oh, it could happen, right? It could happen. What you kind of realize is that anyone who's half decent at writing is probably intelligent enough as well to figure out a a way to get to someone in the industry. Right. It's very rare it's never almost never happened that the person who's like writing you insane emails is also like I might have no clue how to reach out to the proper authorities or do the proper research, but I'm just a gifted person. Right. I, like, I'm ex Steven Talia. I'm, I'm, I'm a I'm a Rain Man. I'm like a right. savant or something right. like that. No if you are smart enough to know structure and have the right concepts and like you have a gift for it and you're good at that you're probably also gifted at least on a minor level at being like oh, I should probably do the research and figure out what's the best way to do right. this or you know you're gifted and you put on a play and people read the play or they read a novel right. or like you win a competition you know you're probably savvy enough to do the proper proper things I mean I think to do the research and the great thing about something like your podcast is this is the, re- like, if you are inclined to learn how to, if you want to learn how to be in the industry, just listen to this podcast, listen right. to, you know, mine right. and Adam Perry and Scott Carr and Peter Dodd and all the really smart people that you've, I mean, I think when I look at the list of people that you've, you've interviewed, it is, it is to me, like, you know, is the luminaries, I think, of, of my generation, Cole certainly. Brenner yeah, and yeah like, all the, boc- like, these are the, the giants, essentially, mm-hmm. um, who are operating today and like there it is it's all for like think about like how things were 20 years ago 30 years ago man like all you could read is a screen like well I guess I'll read William Goldman said worked for him in the 60s and the 70s you know like there was no podcast there was no how do I do this kind of stuff? There are right. lots of books, I think, but like they almost do like update them when they're published. But this podcast, you literally can David Boxer, I'm the top spec guy of 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 the year, you know, or you know Adam Colburn, or a legendary manager, yeah. you know, or Adam Perry, who you know is one of my favorite you know, young agents in town. Yeah. You know, you can listen to them and they will tell you what to do. You know, Hollywood's actually, I think, it gets a bad rap. People are like, oh, man, everyone's backbiting. And, and like, people actually, we want you to succeed, you know? We want well, people if to
0: if, succeed. Yeah, if they succeed, you succeed. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you know.
1: Yeah, and also, there's no secrets. No. There's no seasonal Hollywood secret. It's like, write a good screenplay. No. Um, and you know, and like people are like, what should I write? I'm like, well, go to the movie theaters. Look at look at ArcLight. Look at you know AMC, whatever. And look right. what is playing in the movie theaters. And write something. And be like, do I want to write Hell or High Water? Or do I do want to try to write a Guardians of the Galaxy thing because it's a big difference, you mm-hmm. know. But if you love Hell or High Water and that's the kind of thing that you think you'd be good at writing, then write something. Don't write Hell or High Water exactly, but write your thing that has the same kind of like intelligence and concept and character work that that does, you know. Right. And, and put the work into it, you know? So if you wanna know what should I write, go to the, do the research, right. so many ways nowadays, whether it's listening to your podcast or just going to the movie here that you can do the research right. at home. You can be in Wichita, you can be in Hawaii, you can be in Alaska, you can be in, you know, uh, Scott Carr's client, Jonathan Pereira, Isn't was in freaking South Korea, yeah. you know? and like. He somehow heard about Scott. I'm not sure how. Maybe it was your podcast. And, uh,
0: I don't know. I, I honestly have no idea.
1: Yeah, and and he heard about Scott, and he yeah. sent it to Scott, and just took Scott a while. By the way, that was like a nickel semifinalist. Yeah. And like yeah. no one had noticed it, you know, and uh, and so it's so funny because like one of my clients was a The guy who wrote Emily Darren to I went back and looked at that. And I was like, how did I miss this? I think the log line was just really weird. Oh yeah. And uh, but um so like by the way, please write a good log line. Um, or pr- pretty much a logline that makes us intrigued, yes. you know? Yes. Um, but there's so many ways nowadays to do this. There's no excuse not to have done the research. And if you haven't done the research, it, do- it probably doesn't
0: speak well to you as a writer. Right, or your desire and your work ethic, your the, the preparation you need to put into it. And I, I use an example. Like, a lot of writers, I think, I don't want to say reps. Right. A lot of people who want to write screenplays mm-hmm. uh, think, oh, I could do better. They see some movie that they don't like. How hard could, could it be? How hard could it be? Exactly. Um, but instead of doing that and thinking, oh, I'm going to write another screenplay because you know, these, all these movies I see on t- on, on, in, in the theaters are crap and whatever, look at the movies you do like. Look at how great yes. the, the, the great movies are. Right up, not down. Right. And then realize that whether it's Shawshank Redemption or Schindler's List or any other great film that you love, it's not a third draft that they just threw on together yeah. on the computer. They spent probably months, of many, years. You know, years, years putting this together. I mean, uh, they were talking about Miss um, uh, Sloan, mm-hmm. um, Johnny Pereira, uh, Scott Carr's client, who... Uh, a couple episodes back, if you want to go back to the podcast, a couple episodes back, Scott Carve details the whole process, <laughs> and it was a fast process, and it was two years. Yeah, but that was real fast. Right, it was so I,
1: fast. Felt, I was like I was like, Scott, you got to tell your client, like, man, it's not normally no. like this. It is It is normally a slog.
0: Yeah, and it was two or three years. <laughs> so that's something to, to keep in mind, that it's going to go through many, 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 many drafts. Don't think that that the, the films you see, the great ones especially. By the are, way, no
1: one sets out to make a bad movie. No, you know what I'm saying? And things no. happen. Yeah, You know, the studio says, oh, you have $50 million. And says then the day before, he's actually like, ah, he got 12, you right. know? So you have to chop out some scenes that were really important. You or know, some natural disaster happens. Or the, happens and or you're or the like, actors, like, uh, you know, the actor's tired that day yeah. or whatever. Like, things, nobody sets out to make a bad movie. But I think you're completely right. Write up, yeah. not down. And the problem is when you write yeah. something, you're like, the phrase good enough should never be in a, in, a, right. in a writer's thing like, eh, it's good enough. you know? Because no. you know what, man, you, you cannot make industry, industry as good enough. And so look at all go back to that first question, Do am I willing to put the work in to be a writer? I mean, we talked about this on their podcast, I believe, but what I would say is like talent is 50% or possibly less of being a successful writer. Mm-hmm. Talent is great, but what's more important is discipline and, and awareness of the industry. Because you, it's great to be a good writer, but if you're writing screenplays that nobody ever wants to make or nobody wants to buy, it doesn't really matter. You're kind of writing into the void. Um, and if you're disciplined and you write and you, and you, you, turn up, put out a bunch of material and it's good material just really doesn't mean like I write a lot, I write every day. It's like, are you doing good work every day? Right. And are you being honest with yourself? Oh, whoa, that's. Not. I'd rather have a writer write one amazing screenplay a year than three mediocre screenplays a year. Sure. Okay. And the third question is, are you aware of the market? Now, not every movie you have to write has to be like a big studio film, but if you're running something that's going to make, get made for like a million dollars, don't be surprised when you're not making when you're making three, when you're only going to make thirty thousand dollars or less from that, you know. Right, right. Um, and don't you know? And also, are you aware of what people are looking for? Are you writing a two hundred million dollar movie that's not based on pre-existing IP that everyone's like, look, I can't make this, right. you know? This is the entirety of World War II or something, <laughs> right. you know, or whatever it is. Right. And so, are you aware of the marketplace? And I personally would take someone who had more discipline and more market awareness over someone who's more quote-unquote talented, right. you know, naturally gifted every day because I know that person's going to make it on the long term in the industry. Right. You know, it's the same thing if you look at athletes, raw talent is definitely not enough. Right. Work ethic and awareness of how to function on a team and within an industry, that's more important than anything. Think of it as a Think of it as being a strategic... It's better to be a strategic
0: player than to simply be the person who is the strongest. Right. You know? And on any team, there is a handful of those superstars. But there are plenty... Of, there's far more players that have a lot of talent that never make it in the NBA and the NFL and Major League Baseball. There's a lot more players who don't make it than there are... I mean, I should say, there are more players on the rosters too Right. that don't have as much talent, but they're team players, they do whatever it takes, they they're, they're practice early. They're, they know their role. Exactly. You know? And they know your
1: role. We, we all need to fill our roles. So I think that's one thing that's been good about becoming a producer and then a, a manager certainly yeah. is, is my ego. I've had to really keep in check, be like, you know, it's about my clients, not about me. You know? and I think that's a good lesson for everybody is, you know what, it's, it's a long-term game and you have to be aware of that and, and listen to other people. And and I you know I think that's that's a hard thing to learn. It's so a lesson I think we're probably going to be learning all to the day we die. Right. But it's a, it's a good thing to be like you know it's not all about me. It's about there's something larger than me. The movie is larger than me. Yeah. You
0: know. Yeah. Um, now it's time for the silly holiday questions. We've got a couple of holiday questions. We'll we'll see what we can find out about. Um, do you have any fun winter solstice parties planned? Uh, I do not have anything myself planned. Um
1: I uh I usually throw a party usually at the end of summer, but this time it's shifted to the fall. Right. You were at it? Yes, so yes. um I do not I mean I'm gonna be going to a few kind of agency parties and stuff like that. Um
0: but uh nothing nothing too crazy really. Um your favorite holiday movies, T V show episodes? Hmm.
1: Well I mean Cheesily obvious, but uh, you know, uh, uh, peanuts. You know, Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown Christmas mm-hmm. it's every year. You know, got the got the DVD set and I got the got the music and definitely put that on every year. That's probably right. I would think the first thing that I think about. Oh, um, my fiance and I are going to see uh, Die Hard at the New Beverly Cinema. Uh, the Night Before Christmas Eve, nice. one of the great things about living in Los Angeles is the New Beverly Cinema, which is run by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, and so they always have great uh, movies there on 35mm, only on film. And so we're going to go see, I, uh, I, I saw Dyer like a couple of years ago. I love that Dyer has now become a Christmas classic. Right. I really feel like it has. So we're going to go see that the night before uh, Christmas. So very excited about that. That's, that's my new Christmas. This, as, as they see in the movie, this is a Christmas song. Right. You know, this is Christmas.
0: music. Exactly. <laughs> so that's, that's probably, probably one. Nice. Um, what's the best and worst Christmas gifts you've ever gotten? Uh or at least what comes to mind. I don't remember the worst
1: off the top of my head. I mean, you know, every gift is a wonderful gift. Um,
0: but uh, especially gifts that come from clients and producers. Yeah,
1: producers. <laughs> come on, that's never gonna happen. Um, but uh, I honestly don't remember the best one. I'm sure, like, I'm sure the best one of all time was, like, some Nintendo game when I was, like, right. eight years old and or ten years old. Nothing can ever be as good as a Christmas when you're a kid. Right. I think, you know, it's so funny. You get older, and I look like, at Amazon wish list, and it's so boring, but, like, whatever. I put some stuff on there, and I'm, like, oh, man, there's only six things left. From Like, you get older, and you're, like, wow, I really don't need. I've got all the, I mean, I'm just lucky because I don't, I'm not lucky, but I'm just in a certain situation in my life where I don't have kids yet. I, you know. Definitely gonna have kids down the road, but right now it's just it's me and my fiance, and like, so I've got some money, and I'm like, I'm like, do I really need to buy like another Van Morrison record? Probably not, right. but you know, why not? So I, I don't really have. I got these great speakers uh, for uh, for I want to say Christmas or recently, and so that was really cool. That was a gift from uh, from my fiance, and mm. her father uh, is a big speaker guy, so that was really cool, but. Uh, yeah, I don't. I know. You know, I got a cool book. Of, I just got a book, cool book of, of photography. Walker Evans. I like photography a lot. I think obviously there's some bleed over into the movie industry that way. Um, you know, there's. Uh, yeah, I don't. I I wish I had a better answer. I you know, I guess I just love, and you know, just great clients. That's that's the true gift I've been given.
0: Um, and what's the best and worst gifts you've ever given? Oh man, I'm definitely not saying that. Um, <laughs> the best gift I have you know, ever was there a given. a gift that you're like, oh crap, I forgot to buy a gift this person? You go to seven. <laughs> you know, it's too
1: bad that Elise isn't here, my fiance, because she mm-hmm. could definitely answer this stuff. Oh okay. Uh, I I I think, I don't know, man. I can't remember. Off the top of my head, giving someone a crappy gift. I, I, You know what I, I probably do? My parents are probably... My, I definitely think my parents are tired of getting TV DVDs from me. So I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, this is a great mm-hmm. show. You've got to like... And what I've realized is no one likes watching TV shows as much as I do, or, except for like my fiance. We love like... We're all like... We got so many shows that we're watching. Yeah. I've realized that most people do not watch like 30 new series a year or whatever. They're not, like, the girlfriend experience? Hell yeah, let's binge out this weekend, right. you know? Most people are like, yeah, I watched four shows and that's that, you know. Right, right. So I can't say um, that I, 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 uh, I. That's probably the, the thing. I think I gave my mom like the first three seasons of Gilmore Girls. She's like, you can you can hang on to it. It's okay. I don't need to watch it in time. <laughs> soon. Right. You know. And I was like, I thought it was a good gift. Right. You know. That's awesome. Um. So yeah, the best one.
0: So even if I guess yeah. some of the worst gifts were not intentionally bad, they just yeah, it's all
1: about what people actually you mean, you, you try to give people what you think they right. oh I'll g- i get I know I, I gave my I thought my brother was a big fan of this artist Jay Dilla on his album Donuts, and so I gave him this book that was gonna like an a whole a whole book of analysis of the thirty three and a third series about Jay Dilla's Donuts, and my brother's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> And I was like, "You love this album?" He's like, "I don't. I don't even know who this album is." But then I don't worry. I corrected it. The next Christmas, I gave him the album, so maybe you can like nice. reverse engineer it, you know? See that?
0: See that's that, see, that's both the worst, and then it became the best. I hope so. Yeah, I it's, so. it's a
1: it's a damn good album.
0: Yeah. Um. So so yeah,
1: it's never intentional. Oh, I know. I gave my brother uh, uh, back when I was like in high school. I didn't have any money for his birthday. I gave him this album that I got for free. Or no, I, I went downtown and I was like, "He's like, I really, really want the new like Jay Z album, and they didn't have it, but they had like instead they had like a different album that had a song that I liked, like The Roots or something like that." And I was like, yeah. "I got you this album." He's like, "He's like, that's not what I asked for." I'm like, "Yeah, but it's like a hip hop album, so it's pretty much the same, right?" It's got that song I like. He's like, "This is a crappy gift," and I was like, "Well, that sounds good to me. Let's play that song I like." <laughs> Uh, I think gifts were it's a gift for you not for them yeah. that's where
0: you uh, that's where you run into trouble but see that was a great answer that was exactly there we go. what we were looking for there we go um, I guess two other quick things one uh, I just mentioned it before because it came to my mind when I was preparing for the interview um, holiday movies mm-hmm. should a writer write one?
1: right we talked about yeah. this yeah 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 no <laughs> no no nah eh, eh, is the answer um, but I am a
0: Great jingle all the way. Sequel. Oh in my, my head. god. Okay, so
1: here's the thing. There's two good things to be worked with. Number one, if you get a Christmas movie and you get it made, it tends to make money on the regular, but on, on the like the long tail. It's like the long tail theory right. of economics. So a friend of mine produced a great movie called The Night Before that everyone should go and buy and rent and watch. I love it. I really love it. I just bought it on Amazon. I really love The Night Before. I think it's really good. I went and saw in the theaters, and I got like I got a sweater that like Joseph Gordon-Levitt wore. You should also watch Joseph Gordon-Levitt. This is, should put a link to this one on on that. Uh, what was that show that like they like they like they lip sync or I guess it's the called like lip sync battle. battle right. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Seth Rogen and Anthony Mackie did like lip sync battles, and then mm-hmm. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's one, he does um, "Rhythm Nation" by Janet Jackson, and he dresses up.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah oh my yeah. God, yeah.
1: You got If you see that, then you have to see the night before because Joseph Gordon-Levitt gave you the gift of himself. Being Janet Jackson you have to give him the gift of watching the night before and also Michael Shannon in the movie is like amazing anyways <clears throat> so we we're talking the night before with my buddy and he's like yeah it's really tough because like when do you put out a Christmas movie so you can't put it up before before Thanksgiving right because like Christmas hasn't started yet but then you put it out like let's say the first week of December or whatever but the problem is the moment Christmas occurs, like, in Jan- like, nobody in January fifty is like, let's go see that Christmas movie, <laughs> right? Because right? right. Christmas out. is over, right? And they're, you know? Yeah, to so, watch. like, that's the problem with renting a holiday movie is they don't make a lot of them as a general rule because, you know, there's not a huge... Like, right. if you write a great, a, a great action movie, like, Die Hard is theoretically a Christmas movie. I have no idea when it was released, but, right. like... You know, whatever. Or, like, by the way, like, almost every Shane Black movie takes place during Christmas, right. like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and, you know, I think Lethal Weapon. So he just loves L.A. at Christmas. But you would... And, like, even Iron Man 3. But you wouldn't know... You wouldn't call them Christmas movies, right? right? So don't write holiday movies. Nobody wants to make them, is what I would say. That's my... It's, <laughs> that, that is probably the most straightforward answer I've ever given on anything. I'm all like, ah, well, you know, maybe. But like, nobody wants them they're really hard to. and by the way please please don't write another origin story of Santa Claus thing there's been so many of them and none of them have gotten made and nobody wants to read another Easter Bunny Valentine's this, you know the, the truth is they're like a ninja but it's like Santa Claus or something no, no mm-mm, nobody. But what wants if you.
0: Santa Claus is actually a serial killer and he's blind
1: <laughs> I <I'm> prob- <yeah. laughs> probably yeah that house. one trip is probably out there so it was like like it's like the dark Santa Claus. I think I think Krampus was that or something. Yeah, I don't I mean, know. That, I that's like it.
0: some Scandinavian thing.
1: Yeah, I mean it actually did well. But like again, that was an example of like that was like, a, you know, Halloween movies have like a slightly similar issue. Although they kind of Halloween is kind of good because like scary is like Halloween is scary. All, like that movie Halloween, John Carmel movie, That's scary in like February. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. But like. I would say as a general rule, doing anything based on a, hallo- uh, a holiday is, is difficult. You right. know what I'm I've taken out specs before, certainly on them, but I've never quite had any success.
0: It's tricky. Um, when I worked at CIA, the agency pretty much shut down from like a week or so before Christmas mm-hmm. all the way through the new year. Um, are the holidays a good time to submit material for you? I mean like two executives and producers and agents uh, and things? You know,
1: so basically, first thing off, okay, so pretty much, the last time to take out a spec, like a spec that you think you could sell, is like two weeks before Thanksgiving, okay? You have to understand the week before Thanksgiving, people go into like shutdown mode. Mm-hmm. The other thing to consider is there's only so much money every fiscal quarter, and they've usually spent it by the time you get to the first week or second week of November, okay? So you're already kinda of, that's a bad situation anyways. People are also distracted, the bosses is traveling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So so in terms of us taking out material we don't take out material as a general rule. look but i just took out a script last week but that script is going to have to be it's a nib and it's going to be an independent kind of movie it's, it's going to need an actor and a director to get out so it's actually not a bad time for me to take out material um as a general i think you can probably submit to anybody anytime i would say it's a bad idea to submit to people the week of thanksgiving it's generally uh this year uh, the channel will shut down on the 16th. It's probably a bad idea to, I would say it's probably not a great idea to, to, to submit to anyone like the la- kind of the middle of December onward. And then I would say as a general rule, probably not a great idea to submit to people in January because that's what Sundance is. Right. Um, so for me, I'm not going to take out any scripts until February. Um, just in terms of the marketplace because I don't think any, I won't, I won't be taking anything I think I can sell until February. Mm-hmm. You know, If I want to take out something that might get packaged. Yeah, You know, maybe I'll go and, like, I know it's going to sit on the shelf for, like, three weeks or whatever, but that's fine because it's already sitting there, right? right? Kind of, like, moving up the line, essentially. Um, whereas if something's a, a spec, you got to read it. It's going to sell, like, real quick. Then people will read it, but, like, now is not the time. The right. time is February, essentially. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there's t- the town definitely loves to take long vacations. Right. So it's so funny. I read this tweet, I think it was Daniel uh, Kanka, who's a, who's a writer, and he wrote some of the effect of, um, he's like, you know, you, know, you know, after Thanksgiving, the, you know, the town will shut down for the holidays, by which I mean all the way through Sundance, right. you know, like,
0: right. and it's true. It is true. Yeah. It is absolutely true. Um, that being said, um, do you find um, managers like yourself more or less receptive? Since you're not sending as much material out, are you much more receptive to receiving queries and, and, and sure. things? Sure. I would say not the week of Thanksgiving and not the week of,
1: um, and not the week of- So Christmas Eve, uh, perfect time? Yeah, perfect time. For their, for their Christmas movie? Exactly, yeah. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Just be, just be a normal human being and be like, when would I want to get a script? You know? right. Probably not Christmas Eve, but I don't send it from any, from like the 60s onward, don't send it, you know,
0: whatever. Right. right. Yep. Um, so that's it. Thanks for coming on the show. Again, we mm-hmm. love having. I love being on it, man. I yeah, love. Yeah, we love
1: having you. I love. I, it's always a lot of fun. And the next time, I, I promise, we can just have fun, silly, silly. Cause like this, cause now I've got all my knowledge done. It's yeah. all done. I have no more knowledge to give to anyone.
0: Now then, we'll it's just done. talk about Die Hard and, and exactly. break it down. I, I think
1: it'd be pretty. I mean, I Hard. It. it. Is it is to be fair. That, there you go. That's our next podcast. We're going to talk about why Die Hard is the perfect movie. Great. Uh, I would love that.
0: Um, so happy festivities sure to you. You've got nothing better to do. Yeah, you've got nothing better to do. Uh, and happy holidays to all of you. Thank you very much for listening. We'll oh, see you in well 2017 to talk Die Hard or right whatever. And everyone be well. Awesome. so
2: delightful since we've no place to go let it snow let it snow let it snow it doesn't show signs of stopping and i brought some corn for popping the lights are turned down low let it snow let it snow let it snow when we finally kiss good night Does he glow? He don't care about the cold and the winds that blow. He just says, let it, snore, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. hoo snow he goes to store. Why should he worry when he's nice and warm? His gal by his side and the lights turn low. He just says, let I it snow, let it snow. I don't yeah. weather outside is frightful but that fire is mm, delightful since we've no place to go let it snow let it snow let it snow it doesn't show signs of stopping and i brought lots of corn for popping the lights are way down low So let it snow, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. When we finally say goodnight, how I'll hate going out of a storm. But if you'll only hold me tight, all the way home I'll be warm. The fire is slowly dying, and my dear, we're still goodbye. Long as you love me so.